Good morning. Going through a lot of scripture this morning, so I'm going to try to speed through this stuff. Uh, contemplating whether to break this up into multiple studies because there's a lot of different sections in here, but decided to just do it in one shot because Thanksgiving is this week, and I kind of wanted to wrap up this chapter as a whole, and so we could see kind of the, the the bigger picture and kind of the macro picture within this chapter. So let's get right into this and take a look at this man full of leprosy first. The first two verses there, 12 and 13. While he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Jesus Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. Now, leprosy leprosy is a horrible disease. um, And it wasn't just a physical disease. It was much more than that. It, it, It was also a disease that affected the victim emotionally, socially, spiritually, And sure, it could kill you physically, but it also killed people emotionally because it didn't let you get close to anyone that wasn't leprous. So if you had family, friends, loved ones within a community, you were ostracized from those people. So this was an emotional, as well as a social, as well as a physical death sentence. Now spiritually, he was considered unclean, and he had to identify himself by shouting, unclean, unclean, whenever he was walking by, and whenever these crowds of people, so they could avoid him. And so this is, this is what we see here, that this man is spiritually alone, emotionally alone, socially alone. Now, you notice that Luke shares with us that this man is full of leprosy. Luke is a physician. So he is including this detail in here to tell us that this is not just a mild case of leprosy, but this is a serious one, full of leprosy. And the hopes for this guy to be healed, the hopes for this guy to see his family again, to be with his friends again, they're pretty grim. The likelihood of this happening is unlikely. And here we have this man who's not allowed to come near others. And so this buzz about Jesus is going all around and he hears about it somehow. And so now he has this newfound hope. Someone who could heal him and rescue him emotionally, physically, socially, all these different things. Now you take a look at at how this leprous man is so full of faith by what he says. He says, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. So full of faith, right? Not a shadow of a doubt that Jesus is able to, but if he is willing to. That's his only question. Jesus, if you're willing, not if you're able to. He has the faith that Jesus can. He's not being presumptuous that Jesus will heal him. He just knows that Jesus is able to, and he just wants to find out if he's willing to. What does Jesus do? Something totally unheard of. Right? He not only stretched out his hand, but Jesus touched him. Now, if you would, were to touch a leprous man, you would be considered unclean for a while. You had to kind of wait a certain amount of time before you were able to go out into the world again. But this is Jesus, and he touches him. And when think about the last time someone touched this man. This is a man full of leprosy, so it wasn't something that just happened and he just had a little patch of it. He's full of it. When was the last time someone touched him that wasn't a leper? And as Jesus is touching him, Jesus said, I will be clean. And just like in other instances, when Jesus commands, things happen immediately, things happen completely, right? Demons fleeing, people getting healed, storms calming, fish 
fishes breaking nets, fevers being rebuked, all this stuff is immediate, it's complete. And here we have this leprosy immediately leaving this man. And not only is what Jesus commands immediate, it's complete. And this is a guy full of leprosy. The leprosy didn't gradually leave him. It left him immediately. It left him completely. And at Jesus' word, this man is healed. And it wasn't like Jesus said, you know, hold up your arms. Which one is better? One or two. Two or one. One or two. Right? This guy is, is fully healed. Like, they're gone. And so this was an immediately he, he, immediate healing that everyone could see right away. More evidence of the power and the authority of Jesus. What does Jesus tell this guy to do? It's verse 14. And he charged him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing as Moses commanded for proof to them. What the Lord spoke to Moses in regards to a leprous person is found in Leviticus 14. We don't have time to look through all of that, but you can find all of that in Leviticus 14. So Jesus has this man follow the Levitical law in Leviticus 14 because he did not come to abolish the law or the prophets, but to fulfill them, as was said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. And Jesus has this guy go to the priest and tell no one because Jesus knew he came to die on the cross for our sins as a suffering servant and not to be paraded around as a conquering king, which these people were looking for in their Messiah. Right? They wanted this political figure to help them overthrow this oppressive Roman government, government. And that's what they were looking for in a Messiah. But that's not what God had planned. Jesus didn't come to redeem the world through politics. His redemption is not political. It is divine. And Jesus also had this guy go to, to the priest to be evidence of who Jesus claimed to be. Because can you imagine this? This former leprous man goes, had to go to religious people, the religious people who were probably most opposed to Jesus. And they had to hang out there for the next eight days, according to Levitical law, Leviticus 14. And this leprous man would be there, big old smile on his face, just looking, and, and the guy's like, why are you smiling? Jesus healed me. Stop talking about Jesus. I can't. He healed me. You know, like... Uh, so eight days, these guys had to hear this guy talking about Jesus transforming his life. Leave. I can't. Eight days. Levitical law. I love Jesus. Shut up! You know. Verse 15 through 19. But now even more, the report about him went abroad, and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. On one of those days, as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there, who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus." So you imagine these guys coming with their buddy. They're carrying his buddy. Um, uh, these guys are carrying their friend only to see that this crowd, this massive crowd is there. There's no way for them to get their friend to Jesus. And so there they are stuck. How are we going to get Fred to see Jesus? Can't go over it. Can't go under it. Can't go around it. Got to go through it. Right? So, through where? 
How, where are we going to go through? Easiest place? Through the roof. No one there. No crowds there. Plenty of space to work with. That's where. So you talk about friends. These guys, good friends, right? All the effort they put in so that their paralyzed buddy can encounter Jesus. Tear through the roof, lower their friend down to Jesus. This must have been a pretty amusing thing to Jesus. I think he probably had this grin on his face and he's like looking. Man, those, those guys have a lot of faith. Look, look at the faith of those guys. Right? I, I'm not paying for that roof, by the way, but I like their faith. And verse 20, and when he saw their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven. And you notice that he saw the entire group's faith, including this paralyzed guy. And Jesus saw the faith of the paralyzed guy who needed healing and the community that interceded on his behalf. And through their faith, all of their faith, Jesus forgives the man of his sins. Now you look back to verse 17 where the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, what were they doing? They were sitting there. Sitting there. These are church people. Right? These are the ones who knew the Scriptures the best. They, they know what the Scriptures instruct us to, to do. These are the people who have the most exposure to the things of God. But what did all that knowledge do for them? They sat there. They didn't, they didn't help this guy or cheer him on. Or what. They, they sat there. What was the evidence of all their religious knowings? Now, the other folks around there, how do you think they viewed those religious folk? I think people were thinking, they're out of touch. They're superficial. They lack compassion. They're just sitting there. Now, how do people view us? Are we busy just sitting here? We just sit in the pew every Sunday? Are we sitting down as observers, not getting into the action out there? It's no wonder that people outside the church view people inside the church as hypocrites. And that that we're just legalistic people who are more concerned with with politics than we are of the gospel. We concern ourselves of other things, right? And and we're busy sitting, and we're busy thinking, and being cynical, and judgmental, and legalistic. And we're not getting busy. Now, what good is our testimony if all we have is head knowledge of the Bible. What good is that? Right? Lots of biblical information without any practice of it. And sure, we want others to know about the gospel by, by preaching it to them, but what is being done? What are we doing? And all of this stuff is happening before the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, and here we find them sitting there. And as they were sitting there, the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal. So may we not be like these religious folks or a religious organization that just sits there, has no power to transform or to get involved. And I hope and pray that for the power of the Lord to be with us to transform lives. And if you call yourself a Christian, some of you have to notify your face. Some of you have to notify your attitude. Some of you have to notify your beliefs, your your values, and stop fooling yourself. Some of you are just sitting there, powerless, without power of the Lord to transform. 
And what you do most is question, like the scribes and the Pharisees, for religion's sake, but not for Jesus' sake. Just sitting there, thinking, thinking, doing nothing. Verses 21 through 25. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, Why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven you, or to say, Rise and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, Rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home, glorifying God. Another immediate result from Jesus. It's his authority over the universe that everything moves at the word of Jesus. Immediately this paralytic rises and you realize that Jesus is doing this in front of everybody. He doesn't do this in secret. He is proving who he claims to be, the Christ. He is proving his authority over everything, even the paralysis of this man. Fred, pick up your bed. That's what I said. Right? So that's what he's doing. And Jesus is not hiding behind anything. He's putting his authority on the line. He's putting his rep on the line. He's putting everything on the line for people to disprove who he claims to be. Right? Showing everything, everyone, I have authority over everything that I say. I have authority over. And here it is. So either the paralytic is not paralyzed anymore, or he still is. And I'm proving it. Out in the open, so either the storm stops when I tell it to stop, or it doesn't. Right? Either the demon leaves, or it doesn't. Either the fever leaves Simon Peter's mother-in-law, or it doesn't. All public. All there. All there for people to see. And while all the Pharisees and teachers are busy asking questions and thinking about things that that aren't helping this paralyzed man, what do you think the others there are thinking? Do you think a a non-religious person there is thinking about theology? I think that this is not accurate. Hmm. That's, That's right, huh? Or do you think the average person in that room was thinking that what the Pharisees were thinking about, right? They aren't thinking that. They were thinking about what Jesus was going to do. They were thinking about Jesus. Are we focused about other things that are driving our focus away from Jesus? We need to focus on Him. The guys that let this paralytic down from the roof, those guys were not thinking about theology. They were thinking... Jesus can heal Fred. Let's get Fred over to Jesus. That's all they were thinking. They weren't thinking about some systematic theology or well, what, does, what does the church think about this issue or all this stuff. Their compassion was for Fred. And they knew Jesus. And they heard about Jesus. Let's get him to Jesus. It's really simple. So they have this faith to bring Fred over, hoist him onto the roof, ruin someone else's property, lower him down to Jesus, and they hope and pray that Jesus heals him because it would be a terrible thing to pull this guy back up. Right? Man, I am so glad Jesus healed Fred. He's added a couple pounds. and He had the nerve to eat right before we let him down. I mean, come on. So I, I, I told him to wait until we, after we saw Jesus. But anyway, so... The bed that was carrying Fred, but now Fred was carrying the bed. 
and there's no doubt about Jesus' authority, no doubt about his power from the people there, except for, for the Pharisees and the teachers of the law and these religious folks. Hmm, uh, blasphemous. Blasphemous, guys, blasphemous. Can't you see that? Shut up. He's healed. Check him out, right? And there were witnesses to this event. Many who saw Fred being lowered down as a paralytic. Many saw him get up, pick up his bed, and go home. Right? You know, he's just... I'm, I'm so happy. I like it. And, hey, weren't you paralyzed? Yeah, I, I was. Jesus healed me. Here's my bed. My name is Fred. And so he's... Verse 26, And amazement seized them all, and they glorified God, and were filled with awe, saying, We have ex- seen extraordinary things today. Yes, they have. Healing of a fully leprous man. Full of leprosy. Healed. A paralytic. They, they tore through the roof, and, and this guy can walk. He's carrying his own bed out the door. And so can you imagine their families' responses? And I know I'm assuming that they have families. We're not told outright that they do. I, I do know that the paralytic's name is Fred, though. So, but the, the, the former leper's family, waiting for those eight days. What? He got healed? He's, 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 he's just waiting eight days? He's, he's healed? That, that they got word that their husband, that their brother, that their son, their cousin, their nephew their friend, their uncle. He was healed. And this paralytic's family waiting, not knowing if he was going to be returning on his bed or carrying it. Whether he was walking and, and he th- through the door he goes, Lucy, I'm home! And so he said, I know her name was Lucy also. And verse 27, After this he went, on, went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth, selling Levi's. And he said to him, follow me. Now, now Levi isn't a story about healing, but it is one about transformation. Levi, like the others, probably heard about Jesus before meeting Jesus, as Jesus' fame is just traveling all over the place. And and before Jesus physically shows up there, he's heard about him. So here he comes to, to the tax booth. Here's Jesus. And he said to Levi, follow me. Verse 28 and 9. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with them. Levi leaves everything. Jeans and all. That tax booth. That tax booth was what allowed him to provide that great feast in his house. Right? Knowing that this was a great feast, it was probably also a great house. Right? Since we're told that he invited this large company that went to the party to meet Jesus. This guy's a pretty wealthy guy. Right? So he went from this, we go from this leprous man who lived in isolation to this paralytic man who, who couldn't physically do anything for himself to this tax collector who can host A party. Party. Full of sinners. So what do all these three guys have in common? They're pretty different. They all need Jesus. They all need Jesus. And how did Jesus instruct all three of them? By His Word. Essentially, 
These words, follow me. The authority and power of God's word changes people. And that's what Christianity is. The aim of Christianity isn't to follow a person. It isn't to follow an organization. The aim of Christianity is to follow Jesus. God incarnate. And when Jesus shows up, and that can be in many places, right? On, on the street like the leper, or in a meeting place for the paralytic, or your place of work like Levi. He wants you to follow Him. He is calling you to follow Him. And the various ways we come to the knowledge of that calling, it's all different. But the needs that we have from Jesus are virtually the same. We need to be saved from our sin. Verses 30 through 32. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. The needs that we have, that we bring to Jesus, they they might be different, but our needs are similar. We are all sick. We all need a physician. We are all sinners in need of a Savior. And Jesus didn't come for people who didn't need Him. We all need Him. And if you have it all together, which none of us do... But if you did, this isn't the place for you. And so if if this is a place that doesn't have it all together, don't expect anyone to have it all together. Why are we judging? Why are we pointing fingers at people and saying do this or no, don't do that and all this stuff? And this is a place for us that we, we, we know that we don't have it all together. So why do you expect that? You know it. So, so, so why do it? So why, why do you think we have so many jacked up people here? We do. Really we do. Do you expect anything less? It's a church. That's what we have. Jacked up people. And you just look at your own family. You don't even have to go that far. Some are more dysfunctional than others, I realize that. But is, is, is everyone in your family put together? Right? No. Are, are all your families as smart as you? No. And do they all have the same personalities and all this stuff? No, right? Do some of them irritate you? Mm-hmm. Thanksgiving's right down the corner. You know, oh, you're bracing yourself. Oh, Lord, please. And so, yes, right? But, but, but you still get together. Even if you don't want to. You know, Aunt, 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 Aunt Sue or whatever. Oh, man, Aunt Sue, but she's family. Come in. Right? So, and and no, no one has disowned you. Even though they probably want to. They're like, oh, man, Joe, he's so... Yeah. All right. Kids table. And so... You don't replace family members, right? You don't replace them, no matter how badly you want that to happen. I guess in some extreme cases, things like this do happen. But generally speaking, you bear it. You deal with it. It's family. That's kind of how it's like with the church. There's some special occasions where we're like, okay, you, you got to go. Those are very few. Right? When we have that sheep and wolves clothing or something like that, there's some discipline issues that we have to deal with. Sometimes we have to say, yeah, 
can't be here. Most of the time, we bear it. You are an Aunt Sue. You are a Cousin Joe. Just sit down. Right? Just eat. And that's kind of how the church is. And, and so in our family, we have some lepers. We have some paralytics. We have some tax collectors. And I wish that we had more tax collectors because then they could tithe more. But anyway. But, but we're all banded together through Jesus. Right? Jesus. And, and we're not here for a religion. We're here in unity because of Jesus Christ. Sinners are welcome here because we're a church. That's what church is for. Jesus is in, in it. We need to invite sinners. So as sinners, we have a need, and Jesus has this cure. Right? And, and, and Luke was a physician, so he records these words for us about healing and all this stuff. I mean, he must have been so psyched that Jesus was doing all this stuff. He was like, oh, this is cool. I can put this in, in my, my manuscript here. He, he healed a leper. He was sick. I'm a doctor. I know this stuff. He's full of leprosy. He healed a, par- he healed a paralytic. Now, you don't go to a doctor when you're not sick. I mean, sometimes modern medicine you do because you go for preventative st- type stuff, right? But you don't need it. It's just a like. But you don't need it. You know when you need a doctor. Your arm is cut off. You know you need one, right? You, you, flesh wound. Right? You, you, don't, you don't do that. That's, that what, when it's serious, you know when you need one. Right? So what happened to the leper? That cleansing of his leprosy is is what Jesus... That's what he does to us spiritually. That's what he does to us... In in the Bible, when leprosy is mentioned, it's a symbol of sin. Symbolic of sin. What leprosy does is what sin does. Think about this. It disfigures and it eats away at you. It, It causes separation. It impacts others in foul ways. That's what sin does. Sinners are, are, is everyone here? All of us are sinners. And it's not something that we can heal ourselves of. Actually, you're supposed to go away and die. Go away and die. You're a sinner. You're full of leprosy. There's no hope. Go away and die. That's not what Jesus did. Jesus came and he touched. He stretched and he touched. He said, I will be clean. Right? So, sinners, that's who we are. And when we come to realize our leprous state, and we come before Jesus, falling down before him, begging him to cleanse us, he will say, I will be clean. And it'll be done immediately. It'll be done completely. Right? It, it was the same for the paralytic. It was immediate. It was complete. And now something fascinating about the paralytic is that when we read that, we tend to focus on the physical paralysis, don't we? We tend to focus on that. But what about spiritual paralysis? Being spiritually paralyzed. That was actually the primary problem here. Right? It, it wasn't the physical paralysis. That's secondary. That's why Jesus said, man, your sins are forgiven. He doesn't heal him of his physical stuff. He declares that his sins are forgiven. It's a spiritual thing. It was more importantly a spiritual healing. And it would be really short-sighted 
to, to physically heal without being spiritually healed. Right? How much more beneficial to be healed spiritually even if you remained physically paralyzed, but you're spiritually healed. But in our self-absorbed culture, we want everything now, and it's difficult for our narcissistic society to look at the everlasting. We want things now. So Jesus primarily addressed the spiritual paralysis of this paralytic, as well as the Pharisees and the teachers of the law as they questioned them in their hearts. Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? And Jesus is thinking, Duh! Exactly! Who do you think I am? Right? Because no one can forgive sins but God alone. I know. I'm forgiving sins. Right? For anyone who questions that Jesus never called himself God, here you go. Here's another text that backs it up. That's what Jesus is doing. He's forgiving sins. They're saying, oh, no one can forgive sins but God. I forgive you of your sins. Right? So Jesus said, verse, verse 23, which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, rise and walk? Forgiveness of sins is something that can't be seen, and it was made visible by what could be seen. Right? And the physical healing of this paralyzed man. That's why Jesus said in verse 24, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. And he said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. That once paralyzed man was, was not only changed physically, he was also changed spiritually. Jesus never lost sight of the spiritual healing, even though much of the manifestations of God doing that were apparent in physical healings. Healing, this, healing spiritually was apparent in the leper, the paralytic, Levi, and, and you look at Levi and, and you see that it's not only him who is transformed, but he grabs a bunch of his friends to join him to the party. And you look back to verse 30 where we find our old friends, the Pharisees and the scribes, who grumbled at his disciples saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Here's the reason. Jesus is a Savior. That's the reason. That's what a Savior does. A Savior saves sinners. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And this isn't just a simple social gathering so that Jesus can grow in his popularity. This is not a community get-together to figure out who are all the players in the community so we can use them at the proper time. Jesus' purpose of being there was to be there as a Savior. A Savior to save sinners, a physician to heal the sick, a shepherd for lost sheep, living water for those who thirst, bread of life for those who starve, the light of the world to those in darkness. That's why He's there. And I hope we don't spend time with non-believers just to participate in sin. Just to hang out. And I hope we don't hang out with non-believers without any intention ever to share the Gospel. What a waste. And I hope we interact with non-believers to show them the love of Jesus. That's why we're there. We're children of God. We're here to show the love of Jesus. And unless we know the purpose of Jesus, we'll have other purposes as to why we do what we do and we'll lead them down the wrong path. We're not leading them to Jesus. We're leading them to think, oh, the church is a cool thing. The church does cool stuff. Oh, we love them. We love them. And we never tell them about Jesus. Wrong path. Jesus' purpose was to save people. 
and, and to see men and women come out of darkness into the light, it's evangelism. Everything else is secondary. You being friendly and all this stuff, hospitable and all, it's secondary. If people don't know Jesus as their Savior, what good is anything else we do through the lens of eternity? Give ourselves a pat on the back to say we did a cool thing, pulled off a cool event, to do something that is just temporarily, temporarily good but not everlasting. If we were told of this large tsunami that was going to hit the Bay Area tomorrow because of some major earthquake in the Pacific Ocean, would we be worrying about Thanksgiving dinner on Thursday? You wouldn't. Right? That, that would be the day of reckoning. So everything outside of let's get out of here is put aside. Let's get everything right and, and make our way out. You wouldn't worry about shopping for stuffing mix. Right? And it's not to say that hospitality, generosity, thankfulness, all those good things about Thanksgiving aren't important. They are. It's just that a tsunami is coming. And there are things to be taken care of. Jesus Christ is coming. There's a second coming. And it's not that justice, it's not that good deeds, all that good stuff about Christianity is really important. But He's coming. He's coming. And not all half a million people in Oakland know that they are going to perish without Him. They're going to perish. Verse 33, And they said to Him, The disciple of John fast often and offer prayers, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees, but yours eat and drink. Jesus was probably accused of many things, like in Luke chapter 7, verse 34, right? It was said, Look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. So essentially, Jesus was accused of being a frat boy, right? He liked to eat, he liked to drink, he liked to hang out with sketchy people, and that's, how, that's just not how John was viewed, right? Although John was viewed as being demon-possessed, though, you look at Luke chapter 7, verse 33, they accused him of that. So you see, see John, Jesus' cousin, he wore, he wore camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist. Totally organic, totally fair trade, totally locally produced stuff. And he ate locusts and wild honey, also organic, fair trade, locally produced. John's crew was not the partying type. John's crew was the type that, that ate a raw diet, drove biodiesel cars, uh, they were, when they weren't riding their bikes, of course. They composted, they recycled, they, they voted for green initiatives, you know, all that, conserved water, and, and asked everyone who was sending them paper mail to send them via email because smoke signals back then would leave too, too large of a carbon footprint. Anyway, so the, the, the Pharisees, they're, they're puzzled. Because they knew about fasting on the Day of Atonement, and, and because they were so pious, because they were so religious, they took it to an extreme, they fasted more often. Nothing wrong with fasting. Fasting's great. It's a spiritual discipline. But there was an attitude that the fasting and the prayers could cause an earning of something from God, and that's not true. Righteousness is not opposed to effort, but it is opposed to earning. But the Pharisees were missing the point, and they said to Jesus, the disciples of John fast often and offer prayers. And so do the disciples of, of the Pharisees. But yours eats and drinks. And Jesus said to them, can you make wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? In other words, do you go to a wedding reception and you fast during the celebration? That makes no sense. It's time to party. It's time to celebrate. It's good food. 
Right? And, you, and you see how cynical the Pharisees were when they were sitting in verse 17 and the paralytic was brought in to be healed. But instead of rejoicing over the healing, they're just cynical. And you see the dif- difference between Levi, who was also sitting in the tax booth, and the Pharisees who were sitting wherever Jesus was teaching. And they had the same opportunities to follow Jesus. Difference is that Levi was humble enough to recognize that he didn't know it all. And he followed Jesus while the Pharisees were so arrogant. And all they were doing was being, being busy, being cynical of Jesus. And here they are continuing on their cynicism. The disciples of John fast often and offer prayers. And so do the disciples of the Pharisees. But yours eats and drinks. And so you talk about arrogance. You talk about cynical people. And these type of people, man, they're so difficult to work with. They really are. And it's no wonder that Jesus was so harsh with them at times. Right? Man, if it were up to me, I, I'd just keep my mouth shut. Right? I, if I was a Pharisee back then and I was cynical about the Messiahship of Jesus, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be doing what they were doing. Right? If, if, you know, if you knew Jesus was the Messiah, then you'd know he wouldn't do some things. Right? But if you question it, what these guys were doing is stupid. Does that make sense? For example, Jesus casted out demons. He rebuked fevers. He healed lepers. He healed paralytics. If Jesus could do that, wouldn't you think that he could put the demons in you? That he can paralyze you? That he can give you a fever? That he can make you sick? Right? Make you a leper? I mean, that would freak me out. Right? I wouldn't be so cocky about my religious stance, especially if I didn't believe he was the Messiah, because if, if he wasn't, then, then he could do that to me. But he was, so... Yeah, he's not going to do that to me. And me being a sinner and not God, but if I had that power, I'd be, they'd be questioning me. I'd be, excuse me? Be quiet. You're a leper. Boom, go away. Right, come back when you're not a jerk. Right? So that's verse 35. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in those days. There's a time to fast. There's a time to party. Right? And when Jesus is physically present with them, they're, they're going to party. Mark chapter 3, verse 14. And he, Jesus, appointed the twelve, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him. When they're with him, they're going to have a great time. Right? When Jesus is hung on the cross, when he's buried, when he's raised from on the third day, he is no longer with them physically, he is with them spiritually, and then they will begin fasting. See, the, the Christian faith is really, 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 really simple. It's not easy, but it's really simple. Follow Jesus. That's it. That's the Christian faith. And, and if you are with him, right, it, in order to follow Jesus, you have to be with him. Just like he had the disciples with him in Mark chapter 3, verse 14, to be with him. We can't follow him if we're not with him. And if you are not with him, why are some of you just busy sitting and judging others and doing these other things instead of being with him? And so we need to take inventory of ourselves. We need to look at ourselves, our own attitudes, our thoughts, our beliefs, our values, our face. Right? If you're a Christian, why do you look like you suck lemons? Right? What, what, what reasons are we giving people to want to follow Jesus with a sour face and a cynical attitude of arrogance or whatever? Like, oh, I know everything, and let me tell you of this stuff. Why would people want Jesus if one of his followers don't have any joy in them? 
Why would they want to go to church or some church function with you? And if you are with him, you would have joy on your face. You wouldn't look like you were sucking lemons. And not that you, you, would, you wouldn't have difficult times, because you would. Not that everything's going to be great for you every single second of the day, because it's not. But you have joy within you, knowing that you are a child of God. And most people want to party. Right? They don't want to be judged by people who sit there and do nothing. And we can't tell people about Jesus if we're not with Him. I can't tell you about Katie, my bride, unless I am with her. Right? I, and for those of you that don't know, I, I live with her. And, and in living with her, I know her really intimately. I can tell you a lot of things about her. I know her really well. One of the things I can tell you is that I have never felt unconditional love from anyone in my entire life, any person besides my wife. She's the only, one, only person in my life that has shown me that. And if you aren't saying anything about Jesus, if you aren't saying about the things that you love about people, like your wife or something, or, or your kids, it's probably because you have nothing to say. And you have nothing to say because you're not really with them. You're not really with Him. If you're not with your wife, if you're not with your kids, you don't have much to say about them. Because if you're really with Jesus, you want to tell people about Him. That's why Levi throws a party. Right? He, he throws a party because Jesus has transformed his life, and He invites the people in His life to meet Him. Verses 36 through 39. He also told them a parable. No one tears a piece from a new garment and puts it on an old garment. If he does, he will tear the new, and the piece from the new will not match the old. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the new wine will burst the skins, and it will be spilled, and the skins will be destroyed. But new wine must be put into fresh wineskins. And no one, after drinking old wine, desires new, for he says the old is good. You don't buy a new jacket, only to cut up the new jacket to patch up the old jacket, right? Makes no sense. That just messes up both jackets. That's what Jesus is saying here. Right? Jesus is saying, do you think that you can take your old religious ways and just patch me into that? The Pharisees and even some of us, we just want to take our old ideas of religion, our old ideas, uh, our old values, our old beliefs, and, and put another patch on, on this jacket of, of beliefs and values and, and systems and stuff. And, and we just want this... We want the Jesus patch. We want the Jesus patch, but, but onto our old jacket. That's, and so, so we have our, our Boy Scout patch, and we have our nicotine patch, and our eye patch, and the cabbage patch, and, and, and then our Jesus patch. And, and, and you don't take new wine and put new wineskins into it because the new wine ferments, and it'll, it'll pop the old wineskins. You lose the wine, and you destroy the old wineskin. So... so don't take all of your old Pharisaic ways, ways of how you viewed Christianity that is not Christ-like, and expect that all you need from Jesus is, is some of his patchwork, that you're just going to patch that piece up. It doesn't work that way. And some of us find ourselves in positions of contradictions where, where our life doesn't match up with what we want our life to look like as a Christian. Where, where we know we need Jesus, we know that we need to be transformed by God, but we don't want to follow Him fully. We just want a little patch. I went to church today. We just want Jesus to patch us up instead of transforming us completely and immediately. 
Jesus is not into patchwork. When he healed the leper, he didn't half cure him. Right? He didn't say, halfway. So that this part shouts unclean and this one can party. He doesn't do that, right? He does it fully. He transforms you fully. When you accept him in faith, he transforms you fully and completely. He doesn't do it partially. He didn't do that to the paralytic. He didn't do that, mm, waist down. Right? He didn't do that. It's complete. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. If you are really saved, you are completely new, not just partially. But if you're just talking Jesus and pretending Jesus, and you're just using him as patchwork to patch part of you, forget about it. Forget about it. He doesn't do patchwork. It's all or nothing. Right? There's, there's no straddling the fence. He does things completely. He does things fully. When he cleanses you from your sin, it is immediate and it is complete. It doesn't mean that your, your struggles go away and that you sin no more. It means that you are justified and you are redeemed by Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 3, verses 21 through 26. But now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. For there is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation by His blood through faith, to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance God had passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. To follow Jesus means that we renounce the old life of unbelief and of sin. People like the Pharisees, people who are self-reliant, People who are complacent or see that they are perfect, that they are perfectly in spiritual health, will miss out on the presence of Jesus. And when we find ourselves in a place where we think others need to hear that message or others need that worship song, that isn't a place where we are going to find healing. The leprous man who Jesus healed was an outcast to society. It wasn't touched by a non-leprous person the whole time he was leprous until Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him. And some of us find ourselves in that imprisonment. Moving from place to place, we're outcasts of some sort, and we haven't felt love in a while, and Jesus wants to touch you, and he wants to make you new. To heal you of your disfigurement, to heal you of your isolation, to heal you of your loneliness that you're inside, that even if you're with a person, but inside you still feel lonely, He wants to touch that. And if we've experienced this from Jesus, are we willing to go to the extent of carrying a paralytic, one who is spiritually paralyzed, carrying them up up to the roof, breaking through that for our friend, for our family, for our loved one, because putting them before Jesus, they can be healed. Are we willing to throw a party for all of our friends, everyone that we're in contact with, just as Levi did? And as Christians, none of us wants to go to heaven alone. It's party time. It's no fun to party by yourself. Right? We're going to be with Him. It's time to party. No more fasting. I'm very happy about that. Let's pray. Jesus, we, we love You. We thank You for Your Word. We ask, God, that we 
aren't busy sitting there. That we are, are busy lowering people, lowering paralyzed people down to you. But first, Lord, it starts with us recognizing our own leprosy. And that we come before you and ask you to clean us. And then from that, it transforms into us wanting to help people who are paralyzed and, and have them come down to you. And also throwing parties for you because we, we want people to, to know who you are. So we ask, Lord, by your power and your authority, that we would be able to change this community for the gospel's sake. In Jesus' name, amen.